Your local McDonald's owners across Washington, D.C., Greater Baltimore, and Eastern Shore are committed community members who all celebrate the diversity of the neighborhoods that they serve. Black History Month is a special time to spotlight the many African-American and Black individuals and organizations that have contributed to our area's growth and development. McDonald's sees, supports, and celebrates you now and all year long. This is the Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheiman, brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman. We're going to do another episode of the Midlife Mail Podcast right here, right now, on the Gal Media Network Podcast Arena. Thank you to Michael Carroll, always putting the show together for me. I am technologically challenged. I got no idea how this actually happens. I book the guests, ask the questions, push one button, send it over to Michael and the guys over there, and they take care of the rest of it. So thank you to Michael Carroll. We have done a lot of episodes together. These are the guys behind the scenes who helped me make it happen. Uh help make the shitty audio quality that I record this on sound halfway decent and appreciate everybody's help in getting the show out there and mostly for all of you for listening and certainly to the guys that have come on the show. My job is easy. I throw out a question. They just take the ball and they run with it. And I've been super blessed to get the opportunity to talk to these Guys, this caliber of individual, these successful entrepreneurs, risk takers, high performers in fitness and in finance and in fashion and in business, uh, athletics, and today, musician, rock star musician, like career musician, like the guy is out there in Seattle has been playing music since he was five years old. This is what he does, tours the world. John Lutzi is his name. You know him. You might not know you know him. He's a singer, songwriter. He's half of the band Cousin. They just released their first EP in early 2017. He has also toured extensively over the last few years as the guitarist in Migs. Check them out. He supported the likes of Scott Weiland, one of my favorites, Stone Temple Pilots, Candlebox, love Candlebox, Royal Bliss, and many others. He's been the guitarist for bands like Love on the Rocks, Phantoms, the Dan Purser Band, as well as Lotus Crush, which he did with Candlebox guitarist Peter Klett. He regularly collaborates and performs with good friends Terry McDermott from The Voice, Blake Lewis, American Idol, Andrew Jocelyn, Macklemore, and Mark Rodriguez. When he is not on the road, he is locked in his home recording studio writing new music. He is collaborating with other artists, and he is spending time with his wife, Trisha, and their three-year-old son, Cruz. Which brings me to today's show. My good buddy, Naren Ariel at Mascot Books. If you are thinking of publishing a book, You got to go to those guys. You got to talk to Naren, one of the premier self-publishing companies in the country. Love this guy. He's been a guest in the show. He's been a friend of mine for a very long time. So Naren 
connected me with John and why? Good question. Because John and his partner, Don Miggs, have put out a book called Dads Know Best. And it is their story, the real story, of dad life. They took advice, comments, stories from friends, family, acquaintances all over, and they put it into this book, and they kicked out some gems. These guys nailed it. So I encourage you to pick up the book. We're going to get to John and let him talk himself about everything and geek out on guitars and gear and all kinds of shit. I could have talked to the guy for hours. couple of things before we get started. A couple of midlife male moments, if you will. I had Aaron Hind on the show last week. Life Aid Beverage Company. Again, love this guy. One of the standouts was Aaron takes his kids to school. They're in the car talking. Three things you're grateful for each day. Brilliant. Simple. Start the day with an abundance mindset. Start the day on a positive note. So, Auden, Harper, and I are trying this. Highly encourage you to do it. We're going to see how many days we can go and tell each other three things every day that we are grateful for. Could be simple. Could be deep. Your call. Just give it a try. Okay. Jeff Weinstock. Cake and bacon. Care package of goodies. Thank you, my man. They say, always take care of your butcher and your baker. So thank you very much. This guy is doing some serious, serious shit. You want breads. You want pastries. Mm. You want some ham and cheese croissants. This is your guy, Cake and Bacon, supplying some of Houston's top establishments, doing an amazing job. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. I am a burger purist. Harper and I go on some burger crawls. Harper's my son. He's 12. My 15-year-old doesn't eat burgers. I have no idea why. Can't solve that problem right now. Don't have enough time for it. But Harper, my little guy, loves burgers. We go on some burger crawls. We check out burgers all over town. He's the total burger purist because the kid likes the bun and the beef. I like to throw on some things, not too many on there, but let's talk burgers. Buff Burger. We're high on Buff Burger right now. Organic, grass-fed beef, simple. They make their buns in-house. Really good. Go see Sarah. Go see Buff. Go order yourself a burger. Truffle fries are also really good. I try not to go in that direction all too often, but yeah, they've got the edamame there, some other things, but burger, knocking it out of the park. Super, super good burger. On the fitness front, check out Jay Ferugia. I am following Jay Ferugia. I have signed up for his Renegade Strength Club. I listen to the Renegade Radio podcast that he does. Jay's 44, 
He says it all the time. I think I can say it too. He's been at this a very long time. Since I have started following his training methodology, his workouts, his philosophy, I feel better. I am performing better. I am not overtrained like I was. Minimum effective dose. Love that. Why do more? Do the minimum effective dose. If it's working, you don't need to do more. And then recover. So Jay, big shout out to you. Thank you very much. Appreciate what you're putting out there. Also appreciate all the wrestling information, music information, and tips. Cool guy. Check him out. Highly recommend it. Other questions that came in. Do I drink? Yes, I do. Not nearly as much as I used to. It's actually quite rare. Not because I have anything against drinking, but I don't recover well. That's it. My mornings, my daytime, far more important than my nighttime at this point. So something had to give, and that's what, that's what gave. If I am going to drink, it's usually silver tequila, typically Casamigos. It's not as much as it used to be anymore. And if I am drinking, yeah, I pretty much got to shut it down the next day because, again, I just don't recover. I don't really have too much, too much free time to shut it down the next day. So it's few and far between. Thanks for asking. CBD oil. We've talked a lot about this. I like the tincture. That's what I take every day. Uh, the one I'm taking right now, Charlotte's Web. Picked this stuff up out of California the last trip we were there. I know you guys can find it online. I don't know exactly where, but it's called Charlotte's Web. This one I particularly like because it has melatonin in it, and I take this at night, and it helps me sleep. As someone who struggles with anxiety, stress, lots of thoughts running through my brain, typically have trouble sleeping, and I need a good seven to eight hours a night for me to really feel good, this helps tremendously. So check it out. All right. Back to the Midwife Mail podcast. Let's get right into this. I already told you about John Luzzi at the top of the show. Author, musician, dad knows best. Dads know best. Let's do it. All right. It's Midwife Mail podcast time. Super psyched. John Luzzi on the show today. He is a musician. He is a dad. He is the co-author of Dad's Know Best. He is up in Seattle right now joining me on the phone. John, thanks, my man, for being here. Yeah, what's up, man? Glad to be here. So this is, so this is cool. We're definitely going to talk about, about the book. Um, and there's so much stuff I want to geek out on about music and guitars and all that shit, that too. So indulge yeah. me a little bit there in, in advance. But I'm in. I, I got to start with, you know, as, as a career musician, a rocker, if, if you will, um, why a book? You know, much less a book on dads and fatherhood. You know, what has inspired you? I'm still asking myself why a book. Uh, I think Don is too. <laughs> um, you know, it, I, I think we say it somewhere, and I tell people all the time, and it's in the book somewhere, but... Uh, writing a book was quite honestly the absolute dead last thing I would have ever thought I would do ever period. Uh, and I don't know 
I have no clue why, right? I've never reading it. I mean, it, it sounds dumb to say, but like reading was never my thing. Not that I wasn't good at it, but I was the kid in class that wanted like the quick note version of the book. I didn't want to read the whole thing, right? I didn't like English class. My teacher had to basically like redo an entire course in high school to make it about songwriting. So I would be interested enough to get through it. So, uh, when the idea for a book came around, it was it was crazy to even think that I was going to do that because uh, my you know my mom is a writer. I'm not a writer. I'm a musician. I, was, I don't ever consider myself a, a a writer in the sense of books. Um, you know, Don loves to read, and he's always got a new book that he's reading, and he's been into writing and things like that. But yeah, it was crazy. It's crazy even right now, you know, walking through my kitchen and seeing the book or having somebody talk about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm an author now. But it came about um, in a crazy way because when I found out I, that my wife and I uh, were going to have our son, I, like every dad, you just have these, like, piles of books that everybody gives you, right? And so I you know, I really haven't finished many books in my life and I didn't finish any of those parenting books because I would get a little bit into it. And I'm like, this, it, to me, it was all common sense type stuff, right? It was like, okay, I get that I'm going to have to change a poopy diaper and I'm going to lose sleep and blah, blah, blah. But it was all very like vanilla advice to me. And I would see Don going back and forth from tour and all the, you know, how involved he was with his family and his kids, but there was just this element of, like, this look in his eyes, right? That's like, I love this, but it's freaking crazy. And so I would ask him and other people, I, I basically asked all the dads I knew. I sent out these emails, and I still have all of them, but I sent out emails to all the dads that I knew and said, hey, give, you know, I've got this pile of books. I think the advice is you know, quite frankly, bullshit. It's not going to help me. Um, and I want to be a great dad. So tell me one thing that you wish somebody had told you before you had your kid. Mm -hmm. you, like the one thing, right. That was like, Oh my God, I wish somebody would have freaking told me about that. And that, uh, in a very, you know, long, like two to three years span turned into this book. I got all these emails back from my close friends and family and the advice that they gave me was insane. Like it was sides that I saw all these sides of my friends and people I knew that I didn't even know were there. Right. Like this advice was like, it just had me like my jaw on the floor, like all this stuff I didn't think of. And so that turned into me, you know, Don had, I asked everybody for one piece of advice and most people gave one. Don gave like eight pages of great advice. <laughs> and, and so I sent him an email and I was like, man, you have to read some of these things that I've gotten from people. Like this needs to be a book. Like it's, it's crazy that there's nothing out there like this. And so that turned into him and I um, emailing everybody we knew. And we decided to do a book, right, of just, the first, actually the first edition of it, and we still have copies. They're just not up right now for sale, but it was called Dad's Know Best, Just the Tips. And it was, every single page was just 
one to two sentences and just like a very blunt to the point tip on being a dad. And we had um, all kinds of people in the first book. We had friends, families, neighbors, the garbage truck guy to Jerry Rice and Mick Fleetwood and um, crazy celebrities and athletes, some of which we still put their quotes in the new book, like uh, Tyler Florence and Guy Fieri and uh, Tom from the Plain White Tees and all kinds of, you know, great people. But that was the first book, and we didn't really write that one. It was just all this advice we had gotten. And then mm-hmm. fast forward a year after that, and we met, uh, you know, Naren and the team from Mascot through – mutual friends and started talking to them about redoing the book. And we had gone out to dinner with them and Don and I were just, it was, you know, like we had a couple of drinks and we're all just like talking and Don and I are sharing stories about being dead and blah, blah, blah. And I think it was there that was like, man, this is the stuff that needs to be in the book. Like you, this is hilarious. This is like, <laughs> this is the true, like the parenting horror stories, but, but also like the, like the pure joy and like passion you guys have for it. Right. But this is like, this is the stuff that people should know. So John and I set out to, to write the book and we did it in a, in a really fun way where we wrote it together. I, uh, I'm very good at coming up with an idea, a general, like, here's the story, right? A lot of the stuff in the book is, I would say 98% of it is totally true stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm good at coming up with that initial idea. Don, because he spends more time writing and, and, you know, a thousand more hours a week reading than I do, he's very good at taking my ideas and making them make sense uh, and adding his own perspective on things and making it all, you know, flow as a book should. And Don and I, uh, in music and now the book and kind of everything we do together we have very very similar but very different opinions on things so i think that the way uh the two of us think and the two of us go about being fathers and people and everything um and our senses of humor just really kind of meshed well to create this awesome book that we love How did that relationship between you and Don start? As you mentioned, you, you co-wrote the book with him. You guys, you guys play together. Um, what's the age? How did you guys get together? How long have you been t- together professionally? What's the age difference? I mean, I'm just fascinated by the dynamics of, of partnerships and collaboration. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was crazy. So we met, God, I want to say it was probably 2000, maybe 2009, 2010. And we met on tour. I was out on tour. I had a band called Lotus Crush, which was with my friend Terry McDermott. He was on, uh, he was runner up on season, maybe three of the voice or something. And then uh, a couple guys from the band Candlebox, which was out of Seattle. I was friends with them. So we had this band Lotus Crush together and we were out actually opening for Candlebox. And I was pulling double duty during merch, selling merch for Candlebox as well. Uh, Cause I had a wedding come up. I was like, I got to do anything to make money. This is crazy. 
So I'm doing merch. I'm playing in the very first band. Migs is direct support, uh, and they were a three-piece at the time. So it was Lotus Crush was on first, and then Migs was on, and then Candlebox headlined every night. And because I was doing merch for Candlebox, I ended up hanging out really more with the the Migs guys every night and their whole team because they would go after their set each night and hang out, you know, and sell merch and talk to the fans. So we ended up becoming friends during that. And it was, they, they obviously saw me play with Lotus Crush on a handful of the dates. And uh, we, I don't even remember how it happened, right? They were three piece. And I think uh, Walker, the drummer at one point was like, Oh yeah, man, if we ever need another, you know, another guitar player, it would be rad to have you, uh, you know, kind of try out and jam with us. So I think it was the last night of the tour. Um, they had said, why don't you get up and play a song during our set, play our single, Let the Games Begin. Um, and I think Don's, I don't remember, I think Don's wife was out at the show too on that mm-hmm. part of the tour. And uh, and so I was like, cool. I'm like all stoked to get up and play with these guys. I really dug their music and we'd been on tour for, you know, three or four weeks. And so I was stoked to jump up and play a song with them and, uh, you know, not knowing where it would lead or what would happen. Uh, and I got up and proceeded to play and have the absolute worst performance of my life. Like I b- freaking blew it. <laughs> and I don't even know why we all joked about it, uh, joked about it later. Right. But I got up there and it was, I just wasn't comfortable. Right. Like you could tell that I was like, it wasn't my guitar part. And I was just like, it just was, it was not, no performance where you'd walk away and go, man, I want that guy to play guitar with us. Um, and so the tour ended and it was, it must've been six to six months later, 12 months later. I mean, it was forever, right. To the point where I, I hadn't even thought about it. I had kind of went back and forth with them for a minute saying, Hey, if you guys ever need a guitar player, I'd, you know, I'd be really interested in, and playing with you guys. I love your music and your work ethic. And I'm looking for something, you know, more serious. Well, it was a crazy day. It was like a year later and the band I was in Lotus crush broke up. We were all like, it's not working, blah, blah, blah. Right. So we broke up and I was sitting in my apartment, like, Holy crap. What am I going to do now? Like I kind of had all my eggs in that basket and was like, now I've got, I have no band. I don't know what I'm going to do, blah, blah, blah. And it was like 45 minutes after that, we called that band quit. The phone rang and I answered and it was Don. And I was like, oh, shit, I haven't talked to you in forever. And, uh, you know, he asked me to come out to Tampa and learn some of the songs and try out for the band. And we ended up just all of us really hitting it off. And, uh, and we had a great run as me. So we, toured for five or six years and we you know we opened up for scott wyland and we got to go overseas uh and play for the troops in japan and uh outside of dubai and we just did all these great things and became really 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 good friends um and so you know that's kind of i got to know don's family and became great friends and and watched his kids grow up and watched him be a dad and watched him how his parent, how he would parent and never really, you know, I wasn't a dad at the time. So there was all these, all the little things that he would talk about, or he'd be like, Oh man, you know, it sucks to leave for two and your kids are like, Oh daddy, I want you to stay home. And I didn't really get any of that. Um, and I get 
I look back to so much of that stuff now and I'm like, I totally get it. Like, you know, now I've got a three-year-old that's like, daddy, you're going in the studio again. I'm like, Oh, this is, that's that bum feeling Don was talking about. But it's, uh, you know, we just had a great friendship and, and we worked really, really well together. Uh, And so it made sense to do, to do the book with him. Yeah. Now, you know, I play in a, in a dad in a dad band, you know, a garage band. We're just a bunch of you know, midlife guys with different jobs and careers. We've never done it professionally, but we love getting together and, and playing music. But more than anything, the dynamic of a band, um, it's just really interesting. Everything from trying to get five guys to agree on what the set list is or to everybody's playing style to schedule and everything. Doing this production yeah. also... Do you feel like all the interpersonal dynamics, conflict resolution, creative process of being in bands really helps you as a dad too? I think so because, uh, you know, and and just a side note because you, you said in a dad rock band, if you haven't seen uh, the Instagram page, Rigs of Dad, you okay. have to go freaking follow it right now. It's a, it's like a, it's, comedy right but they pick like it's like they find these pictures of all these dads in like tommy bahama shirts and make the funniest posts about you just go look at rigs of dad all right Um, go check that out because we're in that situation i mean we laugh about this stuff all the time it's like i've got an obgyn on keyboards you know we've got a yeah you'll be in guy on drums you'll be in tears like you i the first time don showed it to me i spent a damn near an hour scrolling through the photos and reading it because it's so funny but yeah, you know, like being in a band is like your bandmates. It's like being married. Everybody says it, but it's totally true, right? Like you, especially when you're in a band and you're touring, like we were, and you're in close quarters all the time. You have to learn how to get along with everyone and deal with everybody's quirks and and give people their space when they need it and uh, and conflict resolution, right? Like everybody has a different way of doing things and and you have to learn how to how to ebb and flow and make it work and it's the it's the same when you have a family when you're uh you know the the relationship between you and your wife and your child or your partner whoever it is but you have to learn how everyone works and it can't to make something like a band work or a family work or any of it it can't be you can't have the attitude where it's my way or the highway right like you we say it in the book, but you like up to that point, your life is of being a father, your life gets to, it is selfish, right? It's all about me and what do I want to do and my career and blah, 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 blah. But when you, it, that changes when you get married, um, if you're married or it changes when you, you find your partner that you want to be with, right? Like there's mm-hmm. some of it changes, but holy crap, does it change when you have a kid, right? Like that's where the real, whoa, this isn't about, me at all anymore and you find yourself making sacrifices and doing things you know for the better of your family and child but I think I think fan life and tour life and all of that uh you know it it really helps and and helps and and still I pull pull things out of that uh that helped me with being a father and uh, and hopefully a great husband and just a, a good person, right? Because there's so many situations where 
you have to just kind of look at it and go, okay, you know, maybe this isn't what I want or how, how I would have wanted it, whether it's a set list or, uh, uh, or disciplining your son a certain way and your wife wants to discipline a different way. Like you have to just look at things a lot of the time and go, maybe this isn't what I want, but it can work and, and I'm going to make the best of it. And, you know, totally, you know, one thing, you know, I want to obviously get, get into the book, but one of the, the cool things that, that I really enjoy and, and putting out there is, you know, obviously getting to know the people behind the businesses, you know, the people mm-hmm. behind the book, you know, because then it becomes, hey, I want to read what, what John is putting out there because I know about John, you know, right yeah. now. And I've heard about, about Don. Can you maybe peel back some of the, misconceptions i hope you don't burst totally my bubble of again of life on the road also as as a musician um and i don't know if you've seen it either i think it was a, a netflix documentary i think it was called hired gun maybe out there i have yeah yeah okay. yeah totally and you know what's again fascinating to me is the the professionalism you know and the and the dedication um the job if you will of playing music and being out on the road touring and how do you approach it now in terms of health, longevity, sustainability, finding time. I don't know if you FaceTime, you know, your son. Like how, what's that like? Uh, you know, now we, we see it on stage and it's on and off. But what I've maybe come to realize is a lot, it's orchestrated, it's scripted, it's, it's in a lot of ways also. It's planned. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a lot of it is there's, uh, there's a certain image that you, depending on, you know, on your music and what you do that, that you give off on stage and that is, you know, there's a, I think there's a certain image that, uh, that just being in a band and touring and that whole thing and backstage and all la la like there's, there's an image that gets into people's mind when they think that, right. People automatically go to Motley Crue, right? Like yep. backstage is a freaking party and it's chicks and drugs and what, like all this, crazy life, whatever you want. People are like just going nuts. Right. And there, yes, there's, is there a part of touring that's like that? For sure. I've, I've seen lots of crazy stuff, um, but not so much anymore. I'm not saying it's not there, but it's, mm-hmm. a, I think it's a very different time than, uh, than when those images were portrayed and really happening. The, I think with, um, with the internet and with people having so much access, right? Like the days of, of calling all your friends to come out to a show and like that whole kind of thing where it was this word of mouth, total party thing uh, are gone. And because everybody can post a video of themselves playing music and trying to be the next big thing. I think the work that work in professionalism that has to go into your career as a musician today is way harder you don't have i I tell people this all the time but you um you know you don't have the what's the word i'm looking for like you don't get to just party your ass off and wake up the next day hungover and not be your best at a performance right because you don't don't have that luxury anymore yeah because you're if you're not the best if you're not if i'm not up at 9 a.m 
working my ass off to be the absolute best version of me I can be. There's another kid that's locked in his room that's younger, better looking, and is going to be more talented because he's not wasting his day being hungover, feeling like shit or partying or all that, right? Like, and a lot of the people that, even a lot of the bands that have that party image today, it's, you know, they're, it's very professional. Like it is a job. It's still the best job in the world, but you got to work your ass off at it. You, there's no, there's no room to slack. Um, And so on, you know, on tour, on MIGS tours, those were really great. Like, yeah, we had, of course we had our days where we wake up hungover and we're, you know, like, Oh, but you, you find yourself almost, almost planning it different, right? You're like, when's my day off? Like, I'll go hard tonight because my day off is tomorrow and I can, and I don't have to be up for a show or, you know, like we were all, you know, really focused on our health a lot on tours. So we were the guys that like, you stop for gas, everybody does 10 push-ups, And if we're camped out in the Walmart parking lot, we're setting up like a circuit workout in the parking lot and doing pull-ups on the shopping cart stalls. And like, we were, we were always really, really, um, you know, trying to be physically fit and stay healthy because it's, it's demanding. You're still, there's a lot of hurry up and waiting on tour. Um, mm-hmm. but that's the thing. It's easier. It's almost easier to get unhealthy on tour, not because of the partying, but because of the downtime. There's so right. much, there's so much downtime and the, you're sitting around all day waiting to set up, waiting to play a show. And then you finally get to play, right? You load out, you get done at midnight or one or two. The last thing you want to do at that point is go party your ass off. You're like, I just want a couple slices of pizza and to crawl into bed right now. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, I, you know, like I said, there's still, there's still party, there's still partying, there's still crazy stuff that goes on, but, uh, but the artists and the bands that are really making long careers out of it, uh, and, and I truly believe the artists that we don't know yet that will end up having very long careers and being big are the ones that sacrifice that whole party lifestyle and all those kind of things, and they really just like you know, put their head down and bust their ass to be the best version of themselves they can be. Yep, and I know we're talking about about musicianship here and your experiences, but it's it's relatable in any in any industry too. Um, Absolutely. Uh, again, you got to work your ass off to to be the best if you want to be at the top of your game. And whether you're entertaining clients over drinks every night and got to get up and go to work the next day, or or you're on the road, I think the principles are uh, are relatable. You know, they're, yeah. they're too. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's, it, it's, it could be musician, author, artist. It could be it, it, any profession. And it goes straight into, you know, parenting too. Like it's all, it's all relatable. Yep. How often or, or how much time do you spend now um, on and off the road, really, as you mentioned, working on your craft? Like do you get up and do you go into your studio and are you still – working through riffs and really trying to like how, how often do you spend just staying at the top of your game? Yeah. You know, uh, I don't, I, so I haven't toured really 
not much. Uh, there was a few tours right after my son was born, and then Migs, we took a break and all kind of started different musical adventures and things like that. Um, and as of today, now, as far as music is going, I would say um, I today I am putting in just as much time, if not more, than I ever have um, in my life, really, really making sure that I am the absolute best singer and best guitar player I can be. It, uh, I have finally found a balance where, well, I call it a balance. My family probably would still say it's not a balance, but it's a balance for how, for, you know, how hard I am on myself. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, even especially over the last six months to a year, it, it's, I've really, really been having that mindset of like, do what I have to do something every single day to make sure that I'm a better guitar player than I was than the day before, a better singer, a better songwriter, a, you know, I'm getting into producing and mixing and things like that. And I'm just, I don't let a day go by without some kind of thing going into it. And even if it's not picking up a guitar and practicing scales or, or songs or, or whatever, um, or practicing singing, maybe, it, you know, maybe I'm, cleaning the house but I've got the laptop open and I've got a, a course up on mixing and I'm letting that play while I'm doing laundry and things like that like I'm just you know really trying to to buckle down and be the best I can be and I think a lot of it uh recently you know that desire to make up for lost time almost because one thing that I that I really didn't realize uh until maybe a year ago um and i didn't even realize it while it was happening but is your of course having a kid changes everything right but you're like my life got quite literally freaking put on hold like my career mm-hmm. my everything for uh for the better part of two years you know migs stopped touring and it was great timing because my wife and I were just about to have our son and we had our son and my wife, bless her heart. She busts her ass for this family. Right. So she's a sonographer at a hospital near us and she works four tens every week, which means her day really is she's gone for 12 hours a day. Um, And so she had to go back to work and I had to be not had to in a bad way. Right. But I was, I had to be, house dad and um and when you have a, it's a it's the best thing ever so i was like so stoked that i got this time with my son but all like people we have, i had people tell me like you know the days are so long but the years go by in like a blink and mm-hmm. all of a sudden man two years later i'm like i of course i've been working on this book but and i've been writing my own album with my cousin in the band I have here in Seattle and I'd still been had been doing music but not not dedicating the time that I'm used to dedicating to it to that that needs to be dedicated to it mm-hmm. to be professional right and and it was crazy because it was just like oh my god two years just went by and my career hasn't gotten farther as a musician like what just happened and it wasn't there was a, a level of frustration about it, right? But there, yeah. there was also, there 
was nothing that those two years had already passed. I can't go, you know, there's nothing I could do to go back. And so I had to kind of tell myself like, stop focusing on, stop telling yourself like, holy shit, you did like you haven't done anything career wise really for two years and just start doing everything you can. Right. Like no more excuses. If the kid's taking a nap, whenever there's a second, like I said, listen to podcasts, have videos on, bettering myself as you know learning skills as a as an engineer and a producer and set time aside just like I set time aside for you know for fitness like I'm gonna play guitar for an hour a day I'm gonna do this Mm -hmm. and just slowly start like getting back into it and now uh you know now that I've found that balance and I've started to get my time back to be able to dedicate back to my career and my passion I'm I feel like I'm at the you know quickly I'm I got back to the top of my game where now I would say I'm a I'm a better musician than I've ever been I I think I'm at the top of my game right now yeah but it's crazy to find that it's hard to find that balance man and you just don't realize like nobody you know that's the that probably as I'm saying it now that would be like the number one piece of advice I wish I had known ahead of time and been able to somehow prepare for, even though I probably wouldn't have been able to, is is that like your shit gets my shit got put on hold for two years. It was like pause, come back later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Now, as far as it pertains also to to the relationship side of things, I want to touch on this too. And obviously, you know, you're married and you had your son. When when you started your relationship with your wife. Again, were you on the road a lot? How does the dynamic change when, again, all of a sudden now you're home, you know, all the time, and then you bring a kid into this? Yeah. I, mean, I know even my wife and I, we dated a long distance for a while before we got, had to finally say, like, hey, if, if this shit's going to get serious, we need to, like, see each other more than, you know, for three or four days a month, you know, because yeah. it's all fun when you just get together for a short period of time, and then we both leave again <laughs> on that. Yeah, you know, it... uh it was a, it was a, obviously it was a, a huge change and our dynamic was different. My wife met me when I wasn't touring a lot, but I've always been a musician. I've always been playing multiple nights a week out, right? Ever since she's known me, she we met at at a show at a local bar I was playing, and uh, so when I was in MIGS, I was gone a ton. I mean, I think on average when I figured it out, uh, it was a hundred. 80 days a year so it was over half the year that I was gone and that was touring or doing rehearsals in Tampa or uh, or you know in the studio with the guys writing music and and doing all that it was I was gone a ton and I think now what I'm realizing the the biggest change of it right uh was we obviously didn't have a kid when I was gone that much. And, um, but when I would come home, I was almost like super, super overly present. Right. Like, cause I wasn't on tour. So when I was home, it was, that was like the time off. So I didn't have to, we were so busy. I didn't have to bust my ass here. I wasn't like coming home and going, okay, I got to go work. I got to do this. I got to do this. Mm-hmm. I got to be home. So I would, take care of everything and we'd hang out and it was just like there was none of the 
the at-home work stress for my side of the thing or for my side of the relationship because when I was here, I was here, and whatever you needed me for, it was done, and it it was very easy, right? So then when we had our son, uh, when we had our son and then I stopped touring and things very quickly flipped on their head, right, where I was home all the time, and it wasn't – I don't think being home all the time – was necessarily a huge difference. It was mm-hmm. great for both of us, but it was the being home and all of a sudden there weren't tours and Migs wasn't going to do anything. And, and it was, Oh, now I'm home, but now I have to like be busy most of the time figuring out what am I going to do to like in music and career and to make money and figuring that stuff out. Right. So it flipped from when John's home, he's, he's here and he's doing everything like not doing everything, but he's like, I'm able to do whatever I need to do. Right. There's no schedule stuff to I'm home and we have a kid and all this. And I'm also trying to get like any kind of work within music I can. So I'm massively busy. So I'm here and I'm present, but I'm not really present the whole time. You know what I mean? Like it's, there's always, it always, I think, felt and it's getting better but i think a lot of the time it felt like i'm here but it's i have one foot out the door or my mind is somewhere else because the you know the crappy thing that comes along with being a musician is being a musician it's it's great but you're you can never you always have to be thinking about where the next gig the next job the next something is coming from because it's all gone in the blink of an eye Mm -hmm. so for me, that's been uh, that's and probably for my wife too has been one of the biggest things to learn to deal with with me not being on tour as much uh, and me working out of my studio here and doing that kind of stuff is you know I'm having to to still teach myself how to like how to find that balance and between being here and actually being present and being here and like, and being in work mode. Yep. So the title of the book is dad's know best. Um, what, what do dads know best? Uh, <laughs> Probably not much. Yeah. Is, is there, I know, just use, is there a chorus in here? Is there a part of the book that you go, yep, we fucking nailed that one. Okay. I just, there's, if there's one part of it as you reread it, you know, or have gone through it, you're like, yep, we got that part, whether it came from you, from Don, from Mick Fleetwood. You know, what What did dads know best that's in here? Because it's not the, the cookie-cutter bullshit, you know, that we couldn't get through in the other books. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so hard to, like, to pinpoint. I, because there was so many versions of, of the book and there was the first book and all this, right? Like, I think we nailed it as a whole. I'm Don and I are both really happy with it. I love this book. It's, it really is a collection of the shit that I wish somebody told me. Um, but I think there's an underlying thing to the entire book that a lot of people didn't expect. I mean, dad's no best, right? The no best series. It really, uh, no best is it's really tongue in cheek, right? Because nobody really knows best, but it was, it, it's, so it's kind of a play on it, but 
the the one thing that I think we touched throughout the whole book, even when we're not really saying it, and I know some people probably won't agree with it because who knows how their relationship is with their partner or their child's partner, like mother, whatever. I don't care. You know, Don and I, we, we don't care if people hate us, so whatever. But it's so freaking important to be there for the mother of your child, at least while you're together and, and for the kid. Right. And, and during that time, because what everything that I've gone through as a dad and, and, and it's only, it's three years, right. I'm still a, a baby as far as being a father goes, I have a ton to learn, but everything that I've gone through and the emotional and, and mental challenges of becoming a father and all of it, like, holy hell, it's, it's nothing compared to what the mom goes through, right? Like they get freaking yeah. screwed. <laughs> and so I think that is the, is the thing that we really nailed is, is just that thing of like, it's, it's this whole idea of like, you have to be there for that person, but it's also the sentiment of like a dad reading this going, okay, I'm not alone. That's like, that was one of the biggest things for me is hoping that it's not like, I don't think this book is necessarily going to fix anything, right? Like it's going to give people great tips and, and hopefully things that they can look at and go like, oh, maybe I should think of doing things this way or like this is coming up. But, but the, the best thing it could do for a dad is if, is if a dad reads it and is, and has one of those moments where he like, wants to bash his head against the wall because he thinks he's losing his mind and he reads the book and goes, shit, I'm not alone. Like it's, it's okay. Right. Yeah. Because you, because I think as a dad, uh, I think it's really weird, man. I think that there's, I can't think of a lot of, I can think of a million times where I've thought I'm going crazy or can I make it through this freaking situation or how do I like, how do I bite my tongue and just be there for my wife or my family, like a million things. Right. But I can never, I can't think of a single time where I like called a dad friend and was like, man, I'm going through a really hard time. Can I just like, can you just be there for me? Right. Like guys don't really do that a lot, which who knows yep. why, but mm-hmm. if that book, if the book can give somebody that just that feel, like a dad, that feeling of like, okay, th- like what I'm going through is totally normal if it's like a little support group for, for a dad, right. Without having to, to call a friend then that, then I think that then we nailed something. And I think we really have that kind of nailed down in the book. Yeah. It's, it's so true uh, about, you know, guys being reluctant to talk, uh, ask questions sometimes, show vulnerability, sit down in a room with a bunch of other guys or support. Like we got to do this in public. Like, no. And it's, yeah, it's a lot of the feedback even that I get from from doing this, which is direct feedback. You can listen to it in your car. You can listen to it at home. Somebody will shoot me a direct message or a text or an, or an email. And, and the idea of trying to just let other guys know that we're all in this together. We're all trying to do the very best we can. The grass isn't always greener on the other side, whether you're a musician, you're an insurance sales guy, you're a doctor, whatever, whatever's going on. You know, we're yeah. all out there. Uh, trying to figure out <laughs> what it is we know best, right? Yeah, and that was the the 
thing that Don and I really realized, especially when we were doing the first book, right? We had all this advice from, like I said, like next door neighbors to huge celebrities and athletes was at the end of the day, it didn't matter what anybody's job was. Like the advice from all these dads was the same. Like at the, yeah. and at the end of the day, we're all dads. Like there was, it was like asking that question to all these fathers of what's the one piece of advice broke down every single wall of like, well, I do this and I do this and blah, blah, right. Every, the playing field was leveled. Like, yeah. If anything, I like, I mean, I've got as much, if not more respect or want to hear from the quote unquote regular or everyday people and say, okay, yeah, it's great to get a mix of celebrities on the show. You know, Olympic gold medalists, musicians, actors, you know, the, the celebs, the, the names out there. But when you get down, it's the same struggle that quote unquote lesser known or regular guys every day. We're all just that, you know, we're all just yeah. working to make a living. We're all just, you know, the bills come in, the money goes out, you know, the kids are growing up, the relationship stuff. It doesn't matter what your profile or public persona is. We're all dealing with the same shit. Yep. Yeah. It doesn't matter at all, man. It's, it's there's, you know, it's celebrities, any like public profile, doesn't matter how much money you have. None of like at the end of the day, when it comes to being a dad, being, you know, a great father, it's, there's nobody gets the magic solution. Money doesn't make you a better dad. It's not going to make things better to your social status, like none of this stuff, like we're all just trying to be good dads and, and, and to be a great dad, you have to, you know, you have to start with yourself and be a, a great person because kids are a little freaking crazy sponges, man. They're going to turn into what they see. It doesn't matter what you tell them. Yep. So, so how, wait, how old are you now? I'm, I don't know. How old am I? I'm 35. Okay. And, and like Cruz, I said, I lost a couple of years when I had a kid, so I don't really yep. have the time work. And Cruz is, as you said, three, your son? He, yeah, he's going to be three in a month. Okay, so you got more kids in the future that you're thinking about? You know, everybody, I I think now, everybody kind of always asks, right? But like, as three approaches, I it seems like that question gets more and more and more frequent. When do you have another one? When do you have another one? Um. And my wife and I totally want another kid. I think it would be great. She thinks it would be great. But there's factors that play into it, right? Like yeah. there's, the, there's the thing we just talked about where it's like I feel, ha- uh, you know, having to have been home for a lot of it and having my, my career put on pause for so long, I feel like I'm just getting a lot of that back. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure that I have things more solidified before that happens. And they look there is, is there ever going to be a perfect time? No, but, but you know, there's, there's that whole thing. And then there's the fact that, you know, kids are freaking expensive. It's crazy. Like they really are. Yeah. And, and they take a kids take a, having a kid takes a toll financially on, uh, on a family and a husband and wife, it takes a toll emotionally on a, a husband and wife's relationship if you are with your wife or your partner like it takes a lot out of things so as things are now getting back to normal in my life is you know and in, in my wife's life there's a big part of us that's kind of like you it's almost like dreading that it like 
but everything would change again, right? Not that it wouldn't mm-hmm. be for the better, but it's like, is it, is everything going to hit pause again? And we go through all this stuff now that we're actually like getting back into like our routine and things are kind of more normal. But again, it's one of those things where I, I don't, I don't think there's going to, I don't think you can necessarily plan for it. I don't think there's like, we're going to have a kid now because this is the best time. We would love another kid, but I just want to make sure before we do that, that, you know, that some of those things are in line. Because the other thing is, is I want my son and I want any of my kids in the future, I, I want them to grow up loving their life and having, and there's going to be shitty things that happen to them. But mm-hmm. I, anything that's in my power, I want them to have a positive look on it. And I don't want to, I don't want to bring a kid into this world, another kid into this world, and then have him grow up in a house where like mom and dad are struggling to pay bills or any like, right. And not like, it's not like things are like that right now, but you never know what's going to happen. So I'd rather have things, a really solid foundation to bring another kid in and, and have them grow up in a, in a, a great, you know, a great environment. Yeah. Well, well put. So what have you learned and experienced in the three years um, that you either wish you were included or are you stockpiling shit every day right now for, for the next, for the follow-up, you know, dad, dads of teens know best. Yeah, we are so, going to do, yeah, because it, it know best is a series and we've got it, we're going to do it for like chefs and musicians and all kinds of things. But there is, we actually purposely had to cut ourselves off, um, especially like, you know, Don's kids are, are are a little bit older than our kids. They're, you know, you can't stop time. For some reason, they keep getting older every day, even when you try and slow it down. So we had to just cut it off and be like, okay, we're stopping it like after the toddler years. Because every day was a, I was writing the initial ideas off of like, what happened this morning, right? Well, here we go. So uh, you, there's I have so much so much stuff that is not in this book that we can put into another book. And Don, you know, his kids being older probably has so much. So there will be more. But what's um, your process, if I could ask you? Like as a you talked about. You know, I never saw myself as a as a writer per se. You know, and I I put out content, written content, blog, email every week, and I don't even consider myself a writer because I just ramble on into my voice memos on my phone and then hit a button and shit transcribe. What's your process? Uh, for the you know for the book, it was I I just kind of sat down with my laptop and I would throw headphones in and I would just start uh start telling a story of of something that actually happened right of a everything for me uh and this goes goes with songwriting as well hand in hand i have i can easily write about something if it's a if it's a personal experience i have a really hard time coming up with something if you were to say like oh if you know if they came to this and said well we have to do uh, we have to touch on the teenage years. So put yourself in the place of like being a teenage father. I would be like, I can't do that. I like, right. it has to be based on real stuff for me. So yeah, I would just sit down and, and throw headphones in and start telling a story. Right. And we, I kind of, we kind of got an outline of like chronologically how we thought things 
would go. And so I started just with the true story about how I found out that I was going to be a dad. And I kind of went from there. And that, that whole scene in the beginning of the book where you're like stuck in traffic because I picked up my wife from work and I thought she was asking weird and I kept bugging her saying, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong until she blurted out. I think I'm pregnant. Like it's a true story. So for me, it was just, it was just that it was just telling true stories and then sending to Don and having Don put his, you know, intertwine his true stories and his experiences and then make sure it didn't sound like it, you know, like a five-year-old was writing it. And I'm, yeah. I'm a lot better now, but I'm, you know, when I write it's it's fragmented ideas and there's, it's, you know, there's not really a narrative maybe that, you know, like it's, I'm probably referring to myself as me, I, John, that guy, like. <laughs> yeah. Who, are there some dads out there that inspire and motivate you either that you are in close contact with or even kind of from afar that you just look at and go, okay, I can, I can glean some, some knowledge or inspiration off of that. Yeah. Um, you know, the Don was, was always uh, the way that he treated his kids and his wife and, and loved his, you know, love, love, like he doesn't love them anymore. Loves, <laughs> loves his family. Um, he was a great example. And I, and I say it as we say it in the book and, um, and I tell people all the time, the way that he lets his two sons be whatever they want within the realm of being a good person. Right. But like, he doesn't try and make either of them be a certain way. And they're different. And the dynamic between him and each son is different, but the, the relationship and the, and the love between all of them is just as strong. And I really love that because you see parents all the time. They want their kid to be a certain way, right? They want to make them something. They want to like, I want him to be a soccer player, a baseball player, a musician, whatever it is. Like I really like the way that he fathers his sons. And it's, and it's just like, you want to do that. I'm going to, pour all my love and passion into you doing that then and support it. Like I think it's so freaking great. And then the, I mean, the absolute number one for me would be my dad because mm-hmm. we still to, to this day, um, I, you know, he lives 10 minutes for him and my mom live 10 minutes from me. I don't, I can't remember the last day that I didn't talk to my dad on the phone. I mean, we're that close still. He's, amazing he's always there for me he was the i 98 percent of what i do as a father is based off how how he raised me and how he treated me because i have i i'm lucky right i'm one of the people that has not a single negative thing to say about my dad that's awesome yeah so he's i you know and and still to the i will still to this day if i have like if I'm having a hard day and I just need somebody to like pick me up, I'll call him. If I have, if I need advice on being a good dad or a good husband or anything, like he's my go-to because he's just, he freaking has it nailed. Awesome. Good, good for, good for you and your whole family. And I'm sure your son that with you having that relationship with your dad and he having his grandfather so close to him. Just yeah. I think he's close. I think he's closer with grandpa than he is with me. 
<laughs> he wakes that's up every morning. He's like, right? Dad, can I go to Nono's house again? I'm like, well, sure. I mean, this is why we stayed close. Babysitting's free. There you go. And they don't say no. <laughs> That's <laughs> and my dad does and my mom says my dad says the same thing she's like yeah he wakes up every morning too and he's like can i go see cruise can i go see cruise <laughs> that's that's fantastic okay couple couple more for you okay so this comes i said uh so my lead guitarist guy named scott gray in our band uh do you guys have fuddruckers out in seattle or uh i i have been to fuddruckers there's we don't have one in seattle i think the closest that I know of might be like Spokane. Okay. But I've been there for sure. And Don's in Tampa, right? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I think they're down there. They're down there too. We got a bunch of them. So, so Scott Gray, my lead guitar player, is CFO over at Fuddruckers by day also. Okay. Number, yeah. number guy by day, guitar player at night. And oh, I'm man. Gonna, you're going to freaking love Rigs of Dad. I, I can't wait. To, I'm going to text him as soon as we get off this call. <laughs> So, so three three questions because I had talked to him this morning. I said, "Hey, I've got John Luzian, this incredible guitar player. We're also big Candlebox fans, everything else." So, yeah. for you here, top three favorite guitarists, and what about each is your is your favorite aspect of their playing? Ooh, top three favorite guitarists. Um, all right. Well, I would say in no order. Uh, Jimi Hendrix would be one because I that was kind of my jam. Like growing up in in Seattle, I I learned I grew up teaching myself guitar to like Jimi Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan, right? It was all yeah. that kind of stuff. And I think back to those bedroom practice rocking days, and holy shit, was I a good guitarist? I don't know what happened. I could riff a solo back then, probably because I had nothing else to do other than practice, right? I wasn't doing anything, so. <laughs> <laughs> so Jimi Hendrix for sure um and then uh a not so well-known one um I mean kind of well-known in the U.S. for a minute but my my favorite band growing up of all time and still my favorite band to this day was Silverchair um, and so I kind of like I, you know their career I think as far as the U.S. is concerned was maybe like one or two singles but I followed them all the way up until, you know, God, I don't know whether fifth album or whatever, whatever their last album was like, they, they're massive in Australia. And, mm-hmm. uh, and Daniel Johns as a, a guitar player and a songwriter was always like number one influence to me just because a, cause he was my age. Right. So when I was 14 and started like seeing them, I was like, Oh yeah, I could totally do like, yeah, doable, doable for a kid. And then just, uh, his, sporadic guitar playing live um as far as like effects and different weird things would go it was never the same show right and uh, and the guitar lines were never like the solos were never the same and there was never a bad note because he'd just take the note and bend it until it was right if he hit the wrong one like that whole kind of thing i really loved um so daniel johns jimmy hendrix and then God, i would say I probably would have say, said Dave Navarro mm-hmm. a while ago because I love Jane's Addiction and I just yeah. to, him to me he was like that had that rock and roll freaking icon right like I love yeah. his playing and all that um, but as I as I go on I realize how big of an influence uh, like Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine has yeah, been right. on me mm-hmm. or somebody like 
uh, even though I didn't listen to you two a ton. I, I mean, I listen to them now more than I did, but, uh, but somebody like the edge, like I'm, my, my really what gets me off as a guitar player is effects. I love programming delays and, and effects and plugging pedals in where they shouldn't be plugged in and making <laughs> weird noises and having the guitar do something that it, that it shouldn't do. Right. And, like I said, I probably should have spent more time practicing and less time making weird sounds that don't <laughs> sound like a guitar, but I love that stuff. So, you know, guys like that uh, really, and like I said, it, it, I didn't realize till later when I'm like nerding out on a lot of these things and I'm like, oh man, this actually, I'm doing this because I used to listen to Rage Against the Machine all day and I didn't even realize that like these crazy delay throws that I like to program are what he like from those records so uh i'd say probably you know like Tom I mean, those Morello, guys are all, yeah, the, those, those guys. are all awesome i mean we can keep it at five i mean those are inc- five incredible names right there yeah which took and you also led beautifully into the next question which was you know how you describe your your playing style as a mix of these guitar influences and that and you led right into that with the, with the pedals and the programming and and the indirect influences as well yeah and you know i i like i've probably watched uh it might get loud 50 times right i don't know if you've seen it but that's the movie with it has jimmy page and the edge and jack white yep Mm -hmm. and so they all walk into the room and talk about their playing styles and all of them both all of them are different right and and i just like I watch that and relate to the edge so much because it's just like, I love programming soundscapes and, and these different things. And I'm so today, like, and in the more recent, as more recently as a player, I'm fo- I've been focusing a lot more on, on the technical side of my playing. Um, but in conjunction with, with the effects and, and that side of things. And I, I was never, I, I still to this day don't consider myself a lead guitarist at all, like even remotely. I would consider myself a, a, a great rhythm player that can play a solo. But it's funny, I, I have that mindset when I'm playing, and then if I watch myself play a solo, I'm like, oh, I'm not, I'm pretty good. Like, that wasn't bad. I think I'm just really like, uh, I'm just really critical on myself in the moment. Um, but I was never. I loved 80s music and I loved shredder guitars, but that was never me. I was, I never, you know, I was never in my room learning how to like do big, like Yngwie guitar sweeps and things mm-hmm. like that. I was, I, I was, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jimi Hendrix when I first learned. So I've always been that, like, I'm, I'm the guitar player that's much more likely to play one note and put every single ounce of like, emotion and feeling into it than I am to play like a ripping solo. Yeah. I, I love that too. It's just amazing how some guys you hear them play and again, the heart and the emotion and what they're able to get out of you know, less, less being more. And yeah. other guys, you can go note for note and rip something, but you just don't feel it. You know? Yeah. And there's guys that, and there's plenty of guys that can do both as well. And I think there's a place for all of it, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm much more, uh, I'm much less of a technical player and I'm a very, very, in whatever I'm playing for, I'm a very like emotional player. So it's whatever 
feeling I'm trying to portray for that song, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it is a, a solo or a, I love soundscapes and like, and creating big atmospheres with guitars and things like that. So that's much more my jam. Last guitar question. Go for it. I could do these all you're day. St- you're staring at the wall, you know, the guitars are all hanging there. You can pick one off the wall. What guitar do you want to play? I want to play my, my Nash guitar. I freaking love it. <laughs> Don would ha- Don would have a hard time choosing because Don's guitar collection is uh, would be one of envy for anyone in the world because it's in he's a vintage guitar collector and he has mm. truly incredible guitars that that you can't believe you're playing and holding right um, and I just like I I have three or four guitars and I love them all I have you know the the Paul Reed Smith that I have is like that's the guitar I wanted when I was a kid because the guy from Silvershare played it. And yeah. I loved that guitar. And it, that has a special place to me because it was that, right? It was like that one that I would see and be like, I'm that, I got to get that. Um, but yeah, my Nash, my Nash Telecaster that I had made for me um, during the MIGS tours, it's just, I, they just nailed it, man. They made it custom for me it's got these lawler pickups they beat it to shit and it's just like everything the sound of it the look of it every if there was a guitar that i'd say like that guitar is a reflection of me it's that guitar awesome john thank you so much for your time being on the midwife mail podcast today so guys where can we get the book amazon uh amazon.com has it just search Daz No Best. You can go to DazNoBest.com and it's, you're going to, I mean, with Mother's Day and Father's Day coming up, you're going to start seeing a whole hell of a lot of us. So hopefully everybody's enjoying it. And, you know, I would say the crazy thing that, that Don and I, the last thing that I'll say about the book that Don and I didn't really expect from the beginning uh, and that we're starting to realize now is as much as, as much as it's a book for, uh, for dads, you know, specifically dads to be, but also dads that already are and just need that, like we said, that like, oh my God, I'm not alone feeling. Uh, it's turned out to be a really great thing for both parents. I, I would almost say uh, say more of the feedback we've got, and it's all been very positive, but a lot of it has been from moms that have, gotten it for their husbands and read it first and they're like oh my god this is amazing like where was this when we were having kids and they want to get it for for their wives and stuff too so you know maybe it should have been called parents know best but uh but it's dad's no best so we're us dad's got to take one win right we'll get moms later absolutely john lucy today singer songwriter author dad who knows best uh <laughs> Find him, follow him, go pick up the book. Um, you playing anywhere soon? or? Uh, what's I am. Yeah, I am. I've got a, a ton of shows in Seattle. I've, I'm actually, uh, I'm a little hoarse today because I'm working on my doing vocals for my new record. I have a band called Cousin with my cousin, and we're in the final stages of, um, of finishing that record and putting it out. And then I also just jumped on board with a uh, a crazy enough a local country artist in seattle named aaron crawford so i'm doing guitar with him and there's there's maybe 50 shows in the the pacific northwest area 
with him. So if you go to Aaron Crawford, uh, search Aaron Crawford online, you can find, I'll be playing most of those shows. Look up Cousin is my band, so Cousin the Band on Instagram. We, my cousin and I, play every week in Seattle, although that's like winery, brewery, acoustic music, and the, our new album is uh, is extremely heavy, so it probably won't be at any of those places, but there's going to be a lot of shows coming up. So look for, yeah, look for Cousin the Band or Aaron Crawford. You can find me with both of those. And uh, and just look up John Lucy Music on any and all social media, and I'm there, and I'm a freaking open book, so. Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, went through Houston, okay? Yeah, man. I'll let you know if we do for sure. And, you know, I should check Don. I'll tell Don. I should have Don check his tour schedule. Don's going out with Candlebox uh, next week, and Don's down the whole damn mess, which is freaking check out the whole damn mess, uh, you as well as any of your listeners. They've got a new EP out, and they're going on a, a two-week tour with Candlebox, I think starting in a week. But I don't know if they're coming through Houston or not. But if they are, uh, you got to check them out. They're, they're now i got crazy. the song in my head. It's like, so baby. <laughs> <laughs> Love Candlebox. That's awesome. Hey, thank you so much. John Lucy, Midwife Mail Podcast, co-author, Dad's No Best. Check it out. John, thank you so much, buddy. Thank you, Ram. The Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheinman was presented by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. For more information, visit innsgroup.net. A Kia SUV is capable of taking you far, but when you use it locally to help your community, you go even further. Whether that's carrying cargo, bringing your team with you, ready, or navigating new terrain. Power up your capability with the right Kia SUV. Do more with the Kia Sportage, Kia Telluride, Kia Sorento, or Kia Seltos. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely.